Good evening. It is good to be speaking to you this evening. As Isaac said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here. It's great to be speaking to you tonight. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at encounters with Jesus. There you are, encounters with Jesus. These one-to-one interactions that we have recorded in the Bible of people meeting with Jesus, the conversations that they had, the things that Jesus said to them, and the transformational power that there was in those interactions. We've been looking through various encounters and seeing what they have to say to us as the church about who Jesus is and the transformation that he longs to bring about in the lives of those who seek to follow him. So I'm going to be carrying that on today, talking about this encounter that we've just heard read to us between Jesus and the sisters Martha and Mary. I don't know how you feel about this encounter, how big of a deal it seems, Whether the first time you've heard it, you were baying for Jesus to agree with Martha. Too right, Mary, you lazy git. Get up and help your sister. How you feel about the sentence, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. How that sits with you. How does it feel in relation to the week that you've had? How do you feel about hurry and distraction? I've recently been going through a bit of a journey around the subject of hurry, or to call it by its more positive rebrand, hustle, and the distraction that we see as well from Martha in this passage. A couple of weeks ago, Hannah and I were lucky enough to get a bit of time off to be able to go away together. It was our first time going away just on our own since before lockdown, so we were really excited. We decided to stay in the UK and go to somewhere that we've always wanted to go, the Isle of Isla in the Inner Hebrides. What this meant, in essence, was a mammoth drive either side to get there and back. And I decided, having been quite lax on my reading of late, that I'd download some books on Audible to listen to on our drive that I'd been wanting to read for ages and hadn't had the time. The first of which is a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a pastor called John Mark Comer. I'm sorry if I'm wildly behind and you read that like three years ago. Like I say, I've been busy. But basically, if you haven't heard of it, this book is by an American pastor diagnosing what he thinks the greatest challenge to our generations are and the greatest challenge to the Christian walk today. Hurry. His thinking stemmed from his own walk with burnout and some words from his idol, the theologian Dallas Willard, who said, hurry is the great enemy of the Christian life. If you want to thrive in your walk with Jesus, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Good stuff, I thought. Other people really need to hear about this. He goes on to chart the rise of the dopamine addiction induced by our favorite fruit-themed pocket slave drivers, the sacrifice of our leisure time in pursuit of more stuff, our obsession with consumption of media, of food, of more stuff, of traveling to more places, getting more likes on Instagram, getting more followers on Twitter, our success-driven worldview, all culminating in an addiction to and constant state of hurry. Great stuff, I thought. It's so good for me as a pastor, to understand what other people are going through. (laughs) Then it came. He writes, how do you know if you have this up-and-coming disease? It's fairly straightforward. 
Rosemary Sword and Philip Zimbardo, authors of The Time Cure, offer these symptoms of hurry sickness. Moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. Multitasking to the point that you forget one of the tasks. And counting the cars in front of you and getting in the lane that either has the, the least or is moving the fastest. As that last one was read out of our car stereo, I was currently in the outside lane, breaking the speed limit in order to pass someone who was going two miles an hour below the speed limit. Because it's painful enough to have to drive at the speed limit, let alone below it. That's some sort of torture that I just couldn't face. And the idea of it is genuinely horrifying to me. I was starting to feel a little bit seen. Although I thought, I shook myself out of it, you know, I don't have a big problem with hurry. I just don't like driving slowly. It must be a biker thing, I tell myself, and I carry on. A little further into our journey, we stopped at a service station. My pregnant wife needed another wee, and I needed some caffeine. And I see my number go up on the screen for my coffee order. Oh, I'm like six people away. My hand instinctively goes into my pocket and I just start scrolling through social media, responding to messages, emails, just absorbing this, the screen. And uh, I look up and my number has gone from the screen. I went up, I was like, hey mate, my number's vanished, like what's going on? He was like, we called that number repeatedly about five minutes ago, came the response. I'm starting to feel a little bit more like this book might have something to say to me. I don't know whether this tracks with you. Coma goes on to take it from a few light indicators to his 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Let's see how these track, because I can confirm I felt alarmingly convicted by each one, and I'm sure poor Martha would too. This is a bit of a meaty quote, but stick with me as they're all so helpful at helping to identify the symptoms of hurry overload. There are 10. Number one. Irritability. You get annoyed, irritated, or frustrated way too easily. Normal things irk you. Tip, to self-diagnose this, don't look at how you treat a colleague or a neighbor, but those closest to you, your spouse, your roommate, your kids. As I heard this, I had a flashback to my complete personality shift two seconds into having to sit in traffic. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a pass-ag email to set you off, a little turn of events to wreck your day. Depending on your personality type, this might show up as anger or nitpicking or anxiety or depression or just continual tiredness. Point being that ordinary problems of this world have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and your relational grace. Number three, restlessness. When you actually try to slow down and rest and relax, you can't. You give Sabbath a try, you hate it. You try to read the Bible, you find it boring. You have a quiet time with God and you just can't focus your mind. You go to bed early to get some rest and you just toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV but you simultaneously check your phone, do some mindless tasks, reply to emails and messages. Your mind and body are hyped up on the drug of speed and when they don't get their dopamine fix, they shiver. Number four, workaholism or just non-stop activity. You don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't. Another hour, another day, another week. 
Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. This could show up as careerism or obsessive house cleaning or errand running. Result, you fall prey to sunset fatigue. When the end of the day comes, you just have nothing left to give your spouse, your partner, your kids, your housemates, your loved ones. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain, or your own pain, for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. Number six, how are we feeling? Everyone all right? Everyone all right? Yeah, great. No one's left. It's all good. Number six, out-of-order priorities. You feel disconnected from your own identity and calling. You're always getting sucked up in the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. You're busier than ever before, and yet you still feel like you don't have time for the things that really matter to you. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin. You gain weight, you get ill multiple times a year, you regularly wake up feeling tired. You don't sleep well, and you live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse. Caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to actually do what is life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice. Overeating, over-drinking, binge-watching, browsing social media, online shopping, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Some narcotics can be good, healthy even, when used on an occasional or short-term basis to shield us from pain. But when we abuse them to escape from reality, they eat us alive. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving to your soul are the first to go. Like a quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on a Sunday, a meal with community, so on. In an ironic catch-22, the things that make us rest actually require a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline to get going. When we get over busy, we get overtired, and when we don't have the energy or discipline to do what we need most for our souls, we suffer. Finally, number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On the rare times you actually stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean ask God for stuff, I mean sit with him in the quiet. You're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. It's the same with your friends. When you're with them, you're also on your phone or you're a million miles away in your brain churning down that to-do list. And even when you're alone, you come face to face with the void that is your soul and immediately run back to the familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. So those are John Mark Homer's 10 symptoms of hurry. How are you feeling? A little bit seen? A little bit uncomfortable? Don't panic, I would like to bet everyone in this room is relating to this. Reject any shame you're feeling about it. Shame isn't God's tool, it's the tool of God's enemy. And I'm not highlighting this to make anyone feel bad or ashamed, or even to convince myself that you've all got as big a problem with this as I found out I did. I'm highlighting this because it slips under most of our radars. And I think it has a monumental impact on our relationship with God. 
If you're still not convinced this is an epidemic, I have a friend who's a church leader who also recently listened to the ruthless elimination of Audible. Except he did it on one and a half times speed so that he could get through it quicker and get on with the next book that he needed to read. True story. Maybe you're sitting here and you're well aware of the scope of the issue. You constantly feel the need for pace because there's just so much on, but you yearn for rest and you just don't know how to stop, how to get off the treadmill. Maybe you're sat here and you're very strange and you're thinking, I love my phone. I don't care that they now think the human being's attention span is two seconds less than the goldfish. I don't mind that I'm always tired. I love my job. I work 12 hours a day and Netflix for the other 12. I don't need sleep. What is the problem? Well, the problem is this. If we're constantly and continually in this state of hurry, obsessed distraction, how will we ever hear the still, small voice of God? The still, small voice that teaches us who God is. The still, small voice that teaches us who we really are. The still, small voice that invites us into deeper intimacy with God. The still, small voice that invites us to join God in his mission to make all things new in the messed up world around us. Jesus longs to speak to us. And yet so often we are too distracted or too busy to listen. So often I give God a five-minute window in which to transform me. All right, Lord, now's the time. I've got a prayer meeting coming up. It would be great if you could give me something about that. I need some wisdom for that. I promised I'd pray for that person. Um, It would also be great if you could tell me some stuff about how to be a man, how to be a disciple, how to be a child of God, how to be a good husband, how to be a good um, soon-to-be father. Um, Yeah, we've got five minutes. Let's do this. Don't know if you can relate to that. Or even when I do give God that time, I get so distracted thinking about other stuff anyway. Look at Martha in our passage. She was literally in the same room as Jesus, and she wound up getting distracted by whether she'd got enough pitters and hummus out. That is, that is an oversimplification. What Martha is doing is actually a really great thing. You know, God is the God of hospitality. The Bible shows us time and time again how important it is. That's why I'm always banging on about us grabbing a pint after this service. It's great. It's a great thing. But that is just the thing. Our diaries can be stacked out with great things that alone are amazing things to be doing. But there is nothing that is good if it comes at the expense of spending time with the God who made us and invites us to sit with him in his presence. So where is the hope? What is the solution? Well, there are practical things to be done. Hannah and I are currently waging a war on our phones that involves putting them to bed hours before we go to bed and waking them up a couple of hours after we've got up ourselves. We've deleted social media from our phones and are limiting our intake to specific pre-arranged times. We're forcing ourselves to be present when we do something like watch a movie by deliberately putting our phones away and not doing two things at once. I've started wearing a watch again so that I don't look at my phone to check the time because I found so often I would be like, what's the time? Oh, look at the pretty colors. Oh, what's that? What's that? Put my phone back in my pocket and be like, what's the time? (laughs) I've also switched my phone to black and white at the moment to avoid being pulled in by all those bright, pretty colors. 
Sounds ridiculous, right? But remember, you're currently being outdone by a goldfish. I am even attempting to drive in the slow lane. I know, horrifying, right? But I already feel better. My mental health is improved. I feel more present in the moment, more focused on what I'm doing and on the people that I'm with. I feel more emotionally available to those I love and more compassionate to the pain of others. I wonder what those things are for you, those practical things. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's building in a healthy rule about how you spend your time, breaking it down and deciding what the priorities with your time are, giving time to God first, then to what he's called you to, then the rest, to the rest that you need, and only then to whatever else is going on. Treating your time like you might do with your money, spending it where your heart is. Maybe it's switching off your phone, your emails, your need to achieve for an hour or two to go and do something that has no purpose other than to bring you joy. Maybe it's choosing not to listen to anything on that one commute a day to resist the urge to be constantly entertained. There are practical things that we can do to fight hurry and to resist the constant need for distraction. But that's just one small part of it. It's a step, but it's not the reason to do it in and of itself. Jesus is, you'll be really surprised to hear, a much wiser teacher than I am. Or even than John Mark Homer is, for that matter. Jesus is, after all, not just God incarnate and the savior of the world, but the fullest expression of the human that the world has ever known. The most human. A human uncorrupted by the mess of this world. Subsequently, he shows us the fullest expression of how to be a human and how to most thrive as a human. And what does he say in our passage? Martha, Martha, insert your own name there because we've all established that we're all caught up in this hurry, distraction, chaos. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And what was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he was saying. As I said earlier, Hannah and I recently spent a week on the Isle of Isla. And aside from its stunning scenery, rich culture, breathtaking wildlife and sensational food, there is another reason that we were drawn to Isla. You see, Hannah and I are both rather obsessed with single malt scotch whiskey. All you gin snobs out there have nothing on us. And Isla happens to be like heaven on earth for whiskey fans. Eight of the finest distilleries in the world grace its shores. And you've got Jura just over the water as well. And whilst we were there, we were in the Kilhoman Distillery's bonded warehouse. A truly magical place. And I was drinking, and my pregnant wife was sniffing, a gloriously complex... <laughs> single malt. It was smoky. It was caramelly. It had a vanilla note at the back of your throat. It had an appley tang that sat on the tip of your tongue. It was sensational. And we'd seen the process to get the whiskey to this state. They basically smoke some grain, make that into something like a flat beer, and run that through a still to make a spirit. Bam, there's your product. That takes less than 24 hours. And then it sits in a wooden barrel for a minimum of eight years, but the longer it waits, the better it gets. 12, 15, 20, 25 years, 
just sat in that barrel. And then the person leading us on a tour around the distillery said this, sat in the barrel is where the whiskey takes on all of its depth and all of its character. And I'm going to rephrase that, that sat at the feet of Jesus is where we take on all our depth and all of his character. The book of Romans says that God saved you to be conformed to the image of his son. Meaning the aim of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus, right? To be formed into his image, to become more fully human. In the image of the most human human that ever was. The uncorrupted human. We do that sat at his feet. In his presence. Listening to his voice. Forgoing the distractions. No phone. No background music. There is no app for this. No agenda. No wish list. We sit at his feet in the silence, shutting out all else until we hear that still, small voice. The still, small voice that changes everything. This is the way of the disciple. So often I can think prayer is talking to Jesus, you know, asking him for things, praising him for who he is, thanking him for things, all the words, you know. And prayer is all of those things. But I often find I'm at my most prayerful when I just decide to intentionally sit in God's presence. Like when you're with a loved one or an old friend, someone who means everything to you, and there's nothing you need to say. You just want to be together, to sit together, to find rest in their presence, to be with one another. That's where I feel most alive. That's the place that I feel the most who God made me to be the most at peace. All the stuff I do with Jesus, you know, reading Christian books, hearing talks, praying with others, being in a group, helping out on Alpha, those are all super important things. But they're like the 24 hours that make the whiskey. The barrel, sitting at Jesus' feet in the quiet and the still, that is where the magic happens. And if you're anything like me, trying to come out of a 10-year hurry addiction, it's going to be so easy to find yourself getting distracted during this process. So often I go into production mode. What do I need to achieve today? What was that weird pinging noise I just heard? What do I have to think about before I go into that meeting? One of my favorite poets is a 16th century metaphysical called John Donne. I love him because all his early stuff was like wild hedonism and it was all written to seduce the ladies. And then, bam, he meets Jesus and suddenly he he meets Jesus in this incredible way. He ends up becoming a vicar and suddenly he's writing these incredible, beautiful pieces about God and the Trinity and walking with Jesus. And he wrote this, I throw myself down in my chamber And I call in and invite God and his angels thither. Great word. And when they're there, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. This guy didn't even have an iPhone. The distractions are rife. Find a way to shut them out. I have a simple phrase when I sit for silent time at the feet of Jesus at the start of my day. I pray... Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. And when my mind wanders, as it so often does, 
I simply pray that again. Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. Find that space in your life. Find that space to sit at the feet of Jesus. Make it your number one priority before anything else. No distractions. And say, here I am, Lord. I haven't come with an agenda. I just want to sit with you. And when the distractions come, as they so undoubtedly will, just refocus yourself again. No shame. Here I am, Lord. I've come to sit with you. This is the place where we feel God's presence. This is the place where we are formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. This is the place where we feel more alive than ever before. This is the place where we are restored, refilled, repurposed, and refreshed. This is the place where the Holy Spirit carries us into the presence of Jesus. Find time this week and for days and months and years to come to sit and listen to the still small voice that changes everything as you take on his depth and his character. In a moment, we're going to share communion together, an act of remembrance as old as the church itself, which is inviting us to sit at the feet of Jesus and contemplate his unfathomable love for us. Why not take the opportunity this evening for that to be the first act, the first moment of a lifetime of moments set aside to sit at the feet of Jesus? Why don't I pray? Yes, Lord, we thank you that you long to meet with us, that you are patient and you are gentle and your heart is waiting to meet with each one of us. And I pray that we would each have beautiful and intimate moments with you this week where we forego the distractions, shut off the need to hurry, resist the distractions, and have time with you, hearing your still, small voice, speaking your affirmation over us, speaking your truth over us, and drawing us deeper into intimacy and relationship with you. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen.